less than two weeks away from the start of UTEP football season. Again, that's I, I keep saying that, Jim, and I keep thinking to myself, well, that's got to be wrong. That, that can't be correct. But we are. We are un, un, unreal. It's 12 days from, from UTEP football and the season opener at the Sun Bowl. Boy, I tell you what, Steve, we are really excited about it, and, and I know our student-athletes are. Uh, it seems like it's been a long time coming, and I continue to keep my fingers crossed and uh, hope and pray that uh, we can get there without any hiccups and actually have a game. And uh, Our student-athletes remain safe. We have a great competitive game with Stephen F. Austin, and, uh, and the patrons that come to our, our venue will find it to be safe, accommodating, uh, that we'll be, uh, they'll, they'll come and find that uh, we're implementing the CDC guidelines and best practices so people feel safe, as safe as they possibly can be, and, uh, and that we come out of this uh, healthy afterwards. So uh, I'm really excited to actually get our first game under, under our belt and see what happens after that. How busy has it been for you working the phones over the last couple of weeks trying to get that schedule filled out after you lost three of your, of your uh, 12 games? Well, I, I tell you what, you, you know, we, I, I started talking to people earlier, even before this uh, this all started happening about what ifs and what scenarios. But really, all that kind of went out the window just as soon as the shoe started dropping. You know, first with the Pac-12 and then the Big Ten, or maybe it's the other way around. I can't remember. But uh, then all of a sudden, it was just a mad scramble with everybody talking to everybody, calling everybody, and trying to find possible dates, trying to learn, uh, you know, what would happen, and then. Even once people started started knowing, we didn't know until even a couple weeks later, like when we lost Nevada after the Mountain West uh, shut down. And then uh, we didn't know still yet what was going to happen until the Big 12 made their decision. And then we then we still didn't know when the Big 12 made their decision with the 9-plus-1 model. Well, were we going to keep Tech, or were they going to drop us? And was Texas going to keep us, or were they going to drop us? So it, it, it eventually sorted itself all out. We were able to move some dates around, get some folks who wanted to play. So I'm very, very pleased. I really am. That's good. Now you're at 11 right now, which we know of. What are the chances of that final, uh, that final game being signed uh, this week for your schedule? Yeah, we, we have a, a, a contract that's already signed with this other institution. It's an FBS institution in a group of five. Uh, however, they're not ready to release it. And so out of respect to them, and this is the way our industry works, we, we have a coordinated release, uh, so they're not quite ready to release it yet. The good news uh, about this uh, institution is that while we're going to go there this year, uh, we're going to get them to come back to El Paso at a later date. Uh, so it's really a home-and-home home series. That's good. So you get the opportunity to play the road game, get that out of the way this year, and then have them back for a future year. Although it's tough because you don't have that many open dates over the next six, seven years. We've looked at your schedule, and you've, you've filled up a lot of the windows already. Yes, boy, Stephen. And I tell you, that, that's been a challenge, just trying to move games around and look for dates uh, like that. And that's one of the reasons why, as you start to talk with different schools about doing, doing a, a game with them, uh, it would only make sense in some of these scenarios if they would come back to El Paso. So, yeah, I could have gone to several different places, uh, you know, here in uh, around the country at the group of five or power five level. But uh, I really didn't want uh, to just have it be a one and done deal and it just take a little bit of money uh, when I should be getting a lot of money. So now, as an example, like we could have played a power five like team and maybe made three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars given the economic climate that we're at in stadium capacities. When the truth is, if I were to wait and not play them, I could get a million to a million five. 
So that doesn't make sense for me to go play them for two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars. Um, but it did make sense for me to do a home and home with somebody that would come back here and go go play uh, for one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand. If they come back here three, four, or five years from now, and all I have to do is pay them three or four hundred or, or or two or three hundred thousand. Sure, absolutely. And then think about it. It covers your travel expenses, which is all that matters. You get the home game in return in the future, and uh, you know that uh, you're, you're not also putting your team in a position to have to go out and play a Power 5. And, and let's be honest, it's, it's hard enough getting out of the Texas game healthy, let alone having to play another one, making it for a fraction of what you would normally get. Right. No, that, that's exactly right, Steve. Meanwhile, uh, since we're 12 days out... We were able to get some information last week, thanks to uh, Dr. Heather Wilson, who had her um, uh, team's call. And in the process of the team's call, she shared some of the details for the first home game and for, I guess, for home games this season, where we learned the the percentage of how the stadium would, would be open, some of the policies. And, and it's weird because I know athletics still hasn't officially released it yet to the public, but we are able to get uh, a little bit of a word on, on how that's going to go. And, and I'm assuming for you, knowing you've got less than two weeks to prepare, the hardest part is going to be able to get everything ready and done in time for that first game on September 5th. Well, that, that's an excellent point, Steve. And one of the things that, that has really been a, a challenge for us is trying to interpret uh, you know, the governor's ruling as it relates to the, the amount of people you can put in a venue. And he has said up to 50%. But then he has, has talked about uh, applying the church model uh, to that. And so our team has been looking at our stadium and looking at all the different ways that we can apply that and the different methodologies. And, uh, and so unfortunately, nobody the, the, here, here would be a good little side business for you, Steve. Go out there and come up with an algorithm that shows, let's just say you have a section in the stadium that has 1,000 seats. And if you pick, if you, if it's your turn to pick seats, and you pick seat uh, row five, seats four and five, then basically it kills all the seats around you to maintain social distancing guidelines. And then the next person, if I'm the person that follows you, uh, and I want to pick, uh, so basically all those seats are killed, so I can't select any of those, and I pick the next one, whether it's two, four, six, three, whatever it is, then it kills all the seats around those. Uh, and, and that software hasn't been developed by anybody yet. So we're really having to do it in more of an old-fashioned way, which means we pick out a series of seats uh, like four here and two there and uh, six here and all these different configurations and spread them throughout the stadium and then apply the social distancing pieces to it as we build it. So that's why it's still a little bit fungible in terms of uh, what that looks like. But uh, I I think we're going to get it done. Our team in the Minor Athletic Club right now have started the reseeding process as of 8 o'clock this morning, I believe. And uh, they're going like gangbusters, trying to help our folks find seats and pick them out and then uh, move on uh, until we, we fill up our stadium. Exactly right. And that's the thing. And, and, and I guess somewhere uh, when it's all said and done, you'll, you'll be somewhere between what, about 8,500 and 9,000 fans when it's all said and done. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be somewhere in that vicinity. Yes, sir. That's what I figured. More with Jim Center as we continue right now. If you've got a question, send it to us on Twitter. 
at 600 ESPN El Paso. Message us on our free mobile app and chat courtesy of United Bank. Or you can always call into the program and talk to Adrian off the air, and we'll relay your question out as well. Three ways to do it as we send it back to Mr. Broad as he has a bottom-of-the-hour Sports Center update. Thank you, Adrian. Appreciate that as we continue chatting right now with uh, UTEP Director of Athletics, uh, Jim Center, here on the program. Our show on Friday got real interesting towards the end. And the reason it did, Jim, was um, we took a call from uh, Darren Hunt, who spent many years in the local media as a newspaper a beat writer, actually covered the miners for the Post and the Times years and years ago, and later on transitioned over to television and, and, and ABC7. And he had mentioned that after 35 years of uh, starting college, he graduated and finished uh, in the summer and got his degree and was really excited about that. And then when he heard that the graduation, which had been moved to the Sun Bowl from the Haskins Center, was going virtual, uh, and then found out that the games uh, for football would, would involve fans being able to go watch, he, he felt it, it was the wrong message because uh, there wasn't the consistency involved as if graduates uh, couldn't be allowed in because of their safety. Why should fans be allowed to, to go in and, and watch football? And, and I'll be honest, when I heard the news about the virtual uh, graduation a few weeks ago, I had my doubts if UTEP would be able to, to put people in the seats for the first few games. But obviously... Um, football and graduation are uh, differences in, in UTEP, uh, apples and oranges, and hence the decision to allow fans in the stands uh, for the football games. Yeah, so first of all, let me just say congratulations to, to Mr. Hunt. I, I don't think I've ever met him and know him, so congratulations, man. Getting your degree is a really cool deal and a, and a big deal, so, so I get that. Uh, let, let me just say that people have to understand that there are no two events – created equal in the current world that we live in. And uh, in, in events are on different timelines, different timetables. They have different sets of criteria of, of how they're being measured and evaluated. Uh, I, I can tell you one of the things that jumps out at me uh, is when I think about a graduation ceremony in the Sun Bowl, uh, let's just say there's 2,000 uh, students down on the, uh, on the field um, I, I don't think that each one of those individuals will have been tested for the COVID virus three times uh, that week to ensure that they could be there. That's exactly what we will be doing with football, right? Uh, we still have two weeks to go, and any number of things could happen that could cause us to cancel the football game, right? We could have an outbreak. Uh, there, there's all kinds of things. Our opponent could possibly uh, have an outbreak and not be able to fill the, the contract income. So uh, just because we have it scheduled doesn't mean that it's happened yet. Uh, but I can just tell you, no two events are, are the same. So that's really all I've, I've got to say about that. I, I'm sure it's very, very disappointing, um, you know, for not just Mr. Hunt, but lots of other individuals. So Fair enough. All right. Um, as far as the um the home games that you mentioned now um season ticket holders are getting first shot at moving do you anticipate any individual tickets being available for football or do you think that they will all be gone once season ticket holders have had the opportunity to talk about uh at least uh, reseeding themselves and configuring throughout the sun bowl yeah, Steve, I, I believe that there will be some tickets available on an individual game basis. 
I just don't know what that number is yet because obviously we're, sure. we're continuing to sell uh, our season tickets. So anybody right now could buy a season ticket. Uh, I think they start as low as $65, and, uh, and we're continuing to sell them. We would much rather sell out the entire stadium uh, to season ticket holders rather than have to sell them out uh, or, or, or just to sell an individual game basis. But I, but I suspect there'll be some tickets that can be bought on an individual game basis. Uh, I think once we get through the reseeding process that we're in right now, probably sometime early next week, we'll announce if we have individual game tickets for sale and then how people can go online and, and purchase those. Will all of the uh, new renovations be completed in time for the first home game on September 5th? Yeah, you know, I, I know our team was on a call today to review the punch list and all the different things that are there. We have a handful of things that won't be completed. They're really pretty minor things uh, that says some, some equipment issues that are on back order or backlog uh, and some things of that nature. But for the most part, we'll be 95, 98% ready to go. Will the Larry Durham Center, which I know was not planned on being used with the new seating because of all the things that are going to be happening at the stadium, but thanks to social distancing and, and trying to spread everybody out, will you also continue to use the Larry K. Durham Center as well uh, to, to help out with, uh, with, with some of those premium seats? No, no, we won't. No, we will not. It will not be open and available. Okay, fair enough. Adrian, I know you've got a question for Jim. I've had the news circulate around a little while. What has been your overall takeaway for that news and, and seeing both sports pushed over to the spring, and how will you work with uh, both programs to kind of get ready for the future along with maybe a fall of 2021? You, you bet. Well, th- this has been, uh, obviously, as athletic directors, as uh, presidents of Conference USA member schools, we've been talking about this a lot, the, the what-if scenarios and we had already made a decision as a conference of what we were going to do if the NCAA, in fact, did cancel fall championships in the fall and moved them to the spring, which is why you saw the announcement by Conference USA come on the heels of that very, very quickly. The, uh, I, here three weeks ago, I, I was all for let's play in the fall, but the truth was at that time we, we still had a fair number of conference contests, uh, excuse me, non-conference contests that, that our teams could play. And by, uh, by the time Friday rolled around, we had no non-conference games in volleyball. We had only two, I believe, in the sport of soccer. We had no cross-country matches except for the Conference USA Championship. Uh, our fall season for women's golf was down to one tournament, I think. So we had lost the majority of all of our non-conference contests that our teams would be participating in. I, I had both of our, our uh, volleyball and soccer coach uh, come to me and say, hey, listen, if this is all we can do, it's all we can do. But if there was a chance to move it to the spring, we'd rather go in the spring where everybody else is at so we have a chance of having a, a more extended season and playing some non-conference games to go along with our conference slate. Makes a lot of sense. And um, we're hearing now, by the way, that basketball has potentially four dates they could eventually decide on when the start of the season will be. Um, essentially, the first practice could be September 29th. First day of the season will be the 10th. There would be no change. There's also a scenario where they start on October 9th, move it up to the or move it back to the 20th of November. Then there's another scenario with the 25th of November, and the final scenario is December the 4th. So, Jim, the crazy thing is, is that with soccer and volleyball still going to the spring, it seems like basketball will happen before the end of the year. They just don't know if it's going to be November or December as far as the starting date. 
You know, Steve, I, I, in, in all honesty, I hope like heck we get a chance to play for these kids' sake. With that being said, uh, you know, I'm going to start to sound like a, like a, uh, I don't know, a revol- uh, something we just do it over and over and over. Um, but this is the same scenario we started talking about uh, with football and all the, all the fall sports back, you know, 60 days ago, 75 days ago. There's going to be all these people talking about dates, uh, the, the, the different scenarios. The truth is we just won't know. We won't know until uh, we see how things go with the virus and, and is it in decline. Uh, we won't know uh, unless we have – we might have some different time frames if there are thera- therapeutics to treat. Uh, we may have a different scenario if there are different testing uh, uh, modalities in, in treatment or testing um, methodologies for us to employ. Here's an example. Right now we do the PCR test, right, which is a nasal pharyngeal test or a swab. Um, and so for, for Conference USA, we're going to have to do that twice a week with an antigen test. Well, what about if we don't have to do that and all of a sudden it could be a spit test? And each one of those, uh, you know, nasal PCR tests could cost you anywhere from 70 to 125 bucks. But what if all of a sudden we were now approved to do a spit test, a saliva test, and you could do it for four bucks, right? Well, it could be then we say we're going to test every single day for four dollars a day, right? Sure. We could do we could do an entire week less than the cost of the one test right now. So what we don't know is. What's coming down the pike in the way of testing, therapeutics, and or vaccine uh, that, that would allow us to move forward with more confidence that we could continually keep sick people out and we could suppress the disease that way? couple questions coming in for you on Twitter from uh, Augustine. He wants to know first, um, how is UTEP going to take care of the fans that go to Sun Bowl? And it's not just about what happens inside the stadium. What measures can you do to maintain everyone is safe on their way to the game? How can I make sure people are safe on their way to the game? So yeah, that's Augustine, the strangest I, question I've ever heard. So I, I guess not, I guess what Augustine is wondering is is that could you possibly give them a police escort to the stadium just to make sure that everybody in their cars do not get into an accident and they keep themselves as safe as possible? Or maybe yeah, he I'm, means just walking into the stadium, since there could be ultimately a couple of thousand or fifty, you know, five to ten thousand fans walking in. How do you social distance there if people are? to be on top of each other trying to get in to watch the game maybe that's yeah. what he's talking about I, I my guess is that's what augustine is is possibly asking about steve and so here is what i would tell people uh the truth is it's hard to control a herd but what i would tell you is think about when you get out of your car and you go into walmart or some other big store or, or around the mall or wherever you're going uh, if you're wise uh, number one you're wearing a mask number two uh, as you start to get closer to the entrance, you start to slow down so that you're not standing on top of somebody, and hopefully they're not standing on top of you. Uh, the other thing is you have this mindset of, you know what, I'm going to go earlier before the crowd gets there. So we are encouraging. We're going to be opening parking lots three hours before the game. There's no tailgating. And then we'll be opening up the uh, the stadium two hours before the game. So we're encouraging people to come earlier, right, uh, maintain social distancing between them and patrons in front of them and those that they're behind. Make sure you're wearing your mask. Make sure if you have any symptoms, if you're, if you're symptomatic in any way, shape, or form, please stay home, right? Do not come to the game. This is not the place to say, 
uh, gosh, I'm, I'm feeling uh, like I've got a temperature or I've got a sore throat or all these other things. We've all seen all the, uh, the about eight symptoms. Don't come to the game. Don't even take a chance, right? Uh, and then when, so when, as you come into the stadium, obviously we've got a clear bag policy, so no one is having to touch your belongings and dig through it to try to find any contraband or anything you shouldn't bring in. So we're, the clear bag policy is one way to try to make sure that we, we minimize the contact. The second thing is all of our tickets will be digital, so all digital ticketing. No one will be taking your tickets from your hand, scanning them, and handing them back to you. That will be an additional way. All of the people working the game will have gone through a series of protocols where their, their temperature is taken, they're wearing PPE, uh, they, they have been asked questions about have they come in contact with anybody that's had the virus, have they tested for the virus, you know, all the things that almost everybody is aware of that we're all doing now. So all those things will be done with the security apparatus around the stadium, right? So there's going to be a lot done, I think. Now, that still is only as good as people who will follow it. And that's what I'm just asking people. Do the right thing to the very, very best of your ability and your neighbor's ability. Uh, it's going to be outside. Uh, you know, the restrooms will have clicker counts, and, and we have almost doubled the custodial staff to be able to sanitize things. There will be queuing lines uh, for the concessions. Uh, there will be, there'll be plexiglass between the concession workers and the patrons who come up to the concession stand. So there, there will be a plethora of places where you can get hand sanitizer and, and, you know, wash your hands well, but put hand sanitizer on. So these are all the kinds of things that we've done to try to do our very, very best to keep people safe. At the end of the day, folks, I would tell you this. If you have underlying health conditions and in, in, in you're, you're over 60 years old, uh, just be very, very careful and cautious uh, and exercise really good judgment. Uh, and, and if anybody doesn't feel safe, they shouldn't come to the stadium and come to the game, for sure. Fair enough. Now, when should we expect uh, the full uh, list of everything that's going to be happening for that first home game? You, you, you bet. Well, we're, we're getting really close to being able to announce that, obviously. And uh, we're just going to get a couple other people to look at it and approve what we're doing. But we feel really, really good. And it is, it is the best practices, according to the CDC guidelines, that you would see anywhere in the country. All right. Well, listen, Jim, let's do this again next week as we get close when we have that information so we can do some follow-ups and get some last-minute questions from fans looking to make their way to the games. And, and as always, we appreciate you giving us the time and, and coming on the show and talking so much about all the things that are going to be happening for, uh, for a week from Saturday. You bet, guys. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Hope everybody does well. Stay safe and uh, go Miners. There you go. Hey, when we come back after Adrian Cho and Charlie won hour two, right around the corner, we've got Chuck Cooperstein leading us off. We'll talk more about what we just had a chance to talk about with Jim. So stay with us. Sports Talk continues at 600 ESPN El Paso. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk. So clearly one of the great storylines that we've been following through this NBA playoffs was the performance that uh, Luka Dantich had yesterday. He's been terrific uh, since he came into the league, but uh, he, he did something different, added a new chapter last night with that uh, game winner at the buzzer against the Clips. And uh, joining us right now is Chuck Cooperstein, who is the radio voice uh, of the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, we've spent time talking to Chuck before, but I'll tell you what, you've watched a lot of basketball over the years, whether it's calling college basketball tournament time for Westwood, and obviously all the time you spent with 
with the Mavs. Uh, have you seen anything quite like what what Luca did last uh, yesterday uh, against uh, against the Clips? No, because nobody's ever seen it. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, what, what he did was historic. I mean, the only it's never happened in a playoff game. The only person to produce those numbers at any other time was Will Chamberlain in 1968. Now, Wilt's numbers were 52, 38, and 14. Luca wasn't quite there, but suffice to say, I mean, that's who we're talking about. Uh, you know, the stuff that he's done, you know, alongside, uh, you know, what LeBron has done uh, with the back to back triple doubles, uh, you know, under age 22. Uh, you know, hitting the shot uh, to win the game uh, in a 40 point game, and, and the shot is one that wins the game coming behind. The only other one to ever do that was Jordan. Uh, in the Craig Elo shot in 1989. So, I mean, really, so what we're seeing is, you know, it's it's almost Halley's Comet stuff. You know, it's stuff that you just mm-hmm. don't see uh, very often or ever see. And so uh, it's truly extraordinary to see it happen, let alone uh, a 21-year-old uh, doing something like this. We definitely have not seen this before. No, and and Dallas. Look, you you had a, f- a franchise player in Dirk Nowitzki, fourteen uh, time All Star, twelve time All NBA player. He won the NBA championship. He's the MVP of the league, MVP of the finals. I mean, everybody knows Dirk's story. Yet, I don't think anybody quite expected what we've seen from Dantich as soon, especially when people didn't even know if he would even pan out as a pro when the Mavericks drafted him a couple of years ago. Well, those who said that he wouldn't pan out were fools, okay? And, you know, I've seen a bunch of the, those old uh, Colin Coward and uh, Chris Broussard and Skip Bayless stuff running around today, and they just look like yeah. absolute morons. No one ever said that Luca wasn't going to succeed uh, and that he wasn't going to be a big-time player. Uh, but no one really expected him, certainly this quickly, uh, to be this impactful. Uh, there, there was too much good about his game uh, that was was going to translate to the NBA, uh, but you know he has that unquantifiable it that uh, all the great players have, and uh, it's that it has manifested itself as early as it has in his career uh, makes it even more remarkable. But you know he's he's bigger than you think, he's stronger than you think, he's faster than you think. Uh, although, I mean, no one would ever call him a blazer by any stretch. It's not like Russell Westbrook or anything like that. But he also uses, uh, you know, his head, uh, the, the angles that he creates for himself uh, is just stuff that, you know, 30-year-old guys do. And he's doing it at age 21 with, with all the experience that he had playing overseas. He's already figured out so much. Um, he's special. There's no question about it. And that that's the great thing. I mean, he... He, he's not even anywhere near his athletic peak, and yet he already has so much of the game that translates to winning NBA championships. You're 100% correct. And, and at 21, what he's been able to do with that step-back three and watching it just on display, his whole arsenal was on display yesterday. No matter what the Clippers tried to do, it didn't matter. It couldn't stop and slow him down. Um, again, it's it's amazing. We're seeing this, and and you've been watching the evolution the last couple of years and and you tell me did you feel like Luca's game was just on a different level from day 1 or has there been a, a, a terrific amount of growth from his rookie year till this year oh there's 
without question, there's growth. I mean, he's, he's playing in the NBA a full two years now. He knows so much more about how the league operates, how the game is played. Uh, it's a different game from the international game. And Luke has said many times that he thought, for the most part, the NBA game is an easier game for him to play because, it, generally speaking, it's not as physical, even though he gets beat up pretty good on his way to the basket most nights. Um, you know, his, I think his finishing around the rim because he has gotten stronger is, is so much better. He's the best finisher in the NBA uh, of anyone who is not uh, 6'10 or taller. Uh, you know, his, his outside shooting is, is somewhat problematic. I mean, he was very good yesterday, and obviously he was good at the right time. But, uh, you know, he's only a 31% three-point shooter. He's been better in the series. He's averaging around 38% the series. Uh, that's a, you know that's one area that can get better, and obviously uh, you know his his turnover ratio can get better. Uh, you know there are times you know as Rick Carlisle likes to say you know Luca is a performer, uh, and so he there are times where I really do believe Luca tries to do stuff that uh, that amuses him to to keep his interest in the game because the game comes so naturally to him that uh, he'll make some plays that he probably shouldn't make. Uh, you know I'd love to see his assist to turnover ratio a lot. More toward the, the three to one, or you know, three and a half to one. Uh, you know, somebody like Chris Paul in that regard, you know, is a master of running the pick and roll. Just the way Luke really is a master already at twenty one at running the pick and roll. So there, there clearly are things for him to improve on. His free throw shooting is a very streaky free throw shooter, uh, but uh, you know, those are things that we know he can get better at, and uh, you would hope that he would. And even this year. Uh, you know, he was about a 76% free throw shooter. Last year, he was just over 71%. So there was big improvement there. Uh, he's only going to get better. And that's the exciting thing for the Mavericks and the Mavericks fans. Chuck Cooperstein's the radio voice of the Mavs. He joins us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Uh, it's such a fun one-two punch to watch him and Porzingis together. I know Kristaps was injured yesterday, but when they are together on the court, uh, it's it's the future of this franchise, and uh, that's got to make Dallas fans happy. And then you got complimentary players like Tim Hardaway Jr. and and Seth Curry and, and and Trey Burke, and I mean that's the fun part is you got two great leaders, and then a nice group that that brings you up, and and suddenly you have a a great fun series to watch in this Dallas Clip series, which all of a sudden is even a two apiece. And Chuck, it's anybody's series at this point. Well, it's absolutely everybody, anybody's series. And frankly, the Mavericks have been the better team through four games. There's only one game that you could honestly look at and say the Clippers were better, and that was in game three. You know, The Mavericks have yet to have Doncic and Porzingis play 30 minutes in the same game, which is just absurd when you think about it. And yet, here, here's where they are. Uh, you know, we don't know what's going to be with Porzingis tomorrow. That's uh, likely going to be a game time decision. You know, Luca's ankle apparently is okay. Uh, it, it took a while yesterday, I think, for Luca to understand that his ankle actually was okay because for the first quarter and a half, he really was, um, you know, pretty nondescript. He really didn't try to do very much with it. And you know, the Mavericks fell behind by 21. And I think at that point, he just sort of decided that, okay. <laughs> What the hell? If, it, if we're going to lose by that, I might as well really try to go hard and see what we're going to do with this. And he was able to score a basket going off his bad ankle, and then it, it, it just took off from there. But the role players have been huge in the series. And, of course, you know there are two major role players who are not playing for the Mavericks right now, and Dwight Powell uh, and Jalen Brunson, and that Trey Burke has come in and done what he's done in Brunson's spot uh, has certainly been an, un- an unexpected uh, treasure for Dallas. 
I mean, they knew he could help them, and that's why they picked him over, you know, picking a, another big, uh, bigger player when Willie Cauley Stein elected to, to not come into the bubble. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know what Trey Burke's future is. You know, Brunson's got uh, two years left on his deal, and they love him, and the Mavericks absolutely love him. But I dare say that uh, whether it's with the Mavericks or with some other team, that Trey Burke has made himself a little money from how he's played in the bubble and certainly how he's played in the playoff series. What's it been like for you having to call games from home as opposed to being there? And, and tell me a little bit about your adjustment as, as a radio voice and, and essentially you know, doing, doing virtual play-by-play. Well, uh, I'm not at home. I'm in the Mavericks locker room at the American Airlines Center. And we've got a, a really nice setup there, plenty of TVs, uh, you know, big TV to, for, for the, the game camera. And I've got some, uh, an, another monitor that's got the, the, the robo cameras. So there's, uh, there are replays and things like that that I can see. Uh, but it's different. I mean, there's no question that it's different. There are things that you miss, uh, that you would see if you have, uh, the whole panorama of, of the floor and the building. Uh, but that, that's the way of the world in 2020. It's a first world problem. And, uh, and you have to be able to live with it. So, uh, you know, the thing that you clearly miss is the crowd. And obviously on, on the shot yesterday, you know, under normal circumstances, that would have been a Mavericks home game. I mean, can you imagine what that would have sounded like if Luca makes it and 20,000 people are absolutely going out of their minds? Uh, I might have gone out of my mind even more than I already did. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, and you could tell uh, that I was in a room somewhere as opposed to, uh, you know, being in the building. You know, and we, we've had really great work from the NBA in sending us the effects from, from Orlando. Uh, but, you know, there were times when the effects just can't match the moment, and that was one of them. Uh, so that was, that was unfortunate. But, look, that's, that's just the way it is. And we all deal with it. You know, uh, otherwise, you know, I have a stat monitor in front of me. Uh, the same stat monitor I always use uh, when I'm in the American Airlines Center. Got my engineer, uh, who's the best at what he does. Uh, he's giving me the best mix that he can give me. I've got my partner with me doing the games with me. And uh, it's still playoff basketball. And the way this series has been played has been everything that you would hope a playoff series would be. Chuck Cooperstein joining us here on Sports Talk. How about the city of Dallas? What what is this town just immediately right now just caught up in in the Mavs and, and Luka Mania? Of course they are. Why wouldn't they be? And you know, the Cowboys are only in training camp. Nothing's happened with them yet. Uh, you know, we've got the Stars in the playoffs, and you know, the Stars are doing great too. And people are people are excited about them. But you know, the, the Mavericks, I think, are our team and always have been a team in Dallas that people have wanted to get behind you know they, they've hated the last three years uh and yet you know the, the support that the team has had has been i i think pretty remarkable for what uh, unfortunately was not a very good product the last three years but uh, they were building towards something and you know people got very excited uh you know in january 2019 when the trade for porzingis went down and they could see what Doncic was already doing and so, you know, you could see the outline of what they were trying to do, and people got very excited about that. But uh, I don't think people were really expecting to see something like this so soon. Uh, you know, and certainly not expecting Doncic to jump up in his second year as he has. They thought he'd improve. I think everybody thought he'd improve. 
Uh, it would make no sense for him not to improve. Uh, but, you know, we didn't know how it was going to mess with Porzingis and uh, you know, just what kind of shape Porzingis would be in after being away for so long. Uh, but, you know, when you look at teams that are trying to win NBA championships, they generally have two stars, if not more, but at least two. And the Mavericks have two that are 25 or younger. And there are very few teams of any team that can, can make that statement. I think we could easily see Luca as the face of the NBA in the future. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, how about uh, personality-wise? You, you're around him off the court. What's he like? Is he the kind of player that just you know gravitates to people as people gravitate to him? Well, the players gravitate to him. Uh, you know, they've been very careful, you know, with his public appearances and things like that. You know, it's not like with Dirk. Uh, you know, in many ways, in many ways, similar. Dirk came over at 19, and he was a really shy European who wasn't sure if he belonged. Uh, Luca is a very self-assured 21-year-old, you know, living away from his home since he was 13. Uh, but it, all the trappings of NBA stardom uh, really don't do much for him. He's really only interested in basketball, and he's really interested in winning. Uh, which I think you know is, is fine with the fans and whatnot, uh, and I, I know it's fine with the players. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the the, the video that the Mavericks shot after the game when he came into the locker room and they you know threw all the water on him and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I think that tells you everything you need to know about what they think of him uh, and, as a person and, and a teammate, uh, and that, and that's really important. But um, you know, as far as the public persona of of Luca, uh, you know. As it relates to the media, he's, I mean, he's good with the media, but uh, you know, he, he rarely does he say anything terribly introspective. And then some of that may be that uh, while he soon understands English and can speak English, it's not his favorite language to speak in. Spanish is, uh, so he, he may be better in that regard. You know, as opposed to somebody like Porzingis, who is incredibly introspective, maybe too introspective for his own good, um, but. But Luca, I mean, he handles all of it, uh, you know, like the professional that you would expect him to be. And again, remember, he's 21. You know, if, if we're talking about this when he's 26, well, that's another story entirely. But he's 21 years old, and he's still trying to get the the feel for for all of this. But suffice to say, I think uh, everything that he has done since joining the Mavericks in June of 2018, that people are absolutely over the moon about him. Follow Chuck Cooperstein on Twitter at CoopMavs. That's at CoopMavs. And uh, you can also uh, listen to uh, his uh, radio uh, broadcast of uh, Dallas Mavericks basketball. Hey, terrific stuff. Thanks for the insight, Chuck. And, and always enjoy getting a chance to catch up with you here in El Paso. Steve, thanks for having me. Take care. You too. From Chuck Cooperstein over to Charlie One. We'll get a traffic update and come back with plenty more sports talk right here on 600 ESPN El Paso.